What is up, everybody? Yes, it's that time of the week again, bitch. That's right. Welcome to another exciting episode of Old School, New School Comedy Podcast. And I am your shit-talking host, Christy Miller. And this week, I have a very dear friend of mine. I know I say that every fucking week. Who the fuck am I talking to? Uh, He's a really dear friend. I love him. He's part of my comedy store family in Los Angeles, California. Um... He's, uh, I, he's part of, he's just now graduating into like veteran status. He's 15 years in, he's hilarious. He's actually, uh, dually based in Austin, Texas to Cal to Los Angeles, California, where he's always at the mothership, you know, Joe Rogan's club. And he just finished featuring for Harlan Williams this past weekend there. And he's hilarious and he's one to keep an eye on. So I want you guys to meet my dear friend. Matt Edgar. Christy Miller. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Wait, I gotta correct one. I gotta correct you. One thing about that intro though, and I know that what did I do? mean a lot. This would mean a lot to you. I am a what? 17 year veteran. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and you know that two years to comedy game is a long time. A lot of people don't make it past two years. Yeah, and two years is like dog years. Like you yeah. get 15 exactly. and then you get 17 and you're like, whoa, 17, bro? Like what? It's crazy. It's crazy. I can't believe there's people that uh, have literally, they're 17-year-olds that, you know, the their entire life, I've been out there doing this shit. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Have you met a comedian who's like, uh, like somebody you look up to? Like when I met Bill Burr, Bill Burr told me a long time ago, he, he told me, we, we, we did the math. Uh, right. I've been doing stand-up as long as I've been alive. Yeah. Is that fucking nuts? So every memory that I have for my entire life, Bill Burr was in some club that night. Yep. The moment you fell out of your mother's pussy, Bill Burr was doing a half hour. Was making fun of pussy, yes. <laughs> yeah, isn't that nuts? Well, I meet these kids here in New York that are like 23 and 24. And I was like, bitch, I'm doing this 28 years. And you're going to tell me what to do? Get the fuck out of my face. Insane. I know. I mean, I guess like, yeah, because you're in New York. You have that. It's so eclectic there. There's people from all different ages. I always love the guys in New York that, that grew up in New York. Isn't that kind of crazy? I grew up in L.A. I grew up in L.A. and I started in L.A. So there's very few people that start stand-up, you know, in their hometown and their hometown being one of the, the two major scenes, you know? Yeah, I because I'm from San Francisco, but I started in L.A. So I mean, down the street. Did you ever, uh, did you do stand-up in San Francisco in the beginning? I'm sure you made your way back there, but. I have, but I never started there. I, I didn't start until I went to L.A., and my friends, because I always wanted to do this, you know, like since I was like five, six, yeah. seven years old, I'd want Man. Showtime, you know, it was like a nighttime channel back then. And, yeah. then. and then HBO came out a couple years later and they had these, and Showtime had this show called um, The Big Laugh-Offs. Like there was the San Francisco Big Laugh-Off, the Chicago Big Laugh-Off, the Los Angeles Big Laugh-Off, the New York Big Laugh-Off. And I think there was a Miami one too. I can't remember. I was a kid. What do I know? 
But I remember the San Francisco one, it was Marsha Warfield, Ali Joe Prater, George, the Reverend George Wallace, and Johnny Dark. Oh, yeah. And that's when I went, wow. oh, my God, I need to be this. That's crazy. So wait, are those guys from there? No. They just got, that was the one that they got. Like, they got they got booked on the San Francisco yeah. one. Interesting. Yeah, because you know, those guys were all comedy store people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love some of the Bay Area comedians. One of my favorite comedians uh, is Al Madrid. You know Al He's Madrid? Right. Well, it's a Bay Area guy. Yeah. Yep. So, and they, they create... Bobby Slayton was a Bay Area guy, too. Remember it's him? It's interesting how... Of course. It's interesting how certain places, like, multiple great comedians come from there. It's like the Waters. Yeah. Well, San Francisco, it's all the cock-sucking. Thank you. I'll be yeah, happy. hey, gays are... They're great. <laughs> gays are great skimmers. Gay people are just... Dude, they're talented. Yeah. I think, I think it's because a... Um, my theory has always been that... When you're a hetero dude, like there's a little bit for me, I, I'm only speaking for me, but I'd say like uh, there's a little bit extra machismo that goes into being a straight man that yeah. I think keeps us like it keeps us a little bit a tad tighter. And I don't yeah. think gays necessarily have that. So they're just, you know, it's so much easier. This natural performance. Well, yeah, yeah, and my thing is that they've tapped into a different part of their brain because they're wired different. So they have that freedom and that part that a lot of us Neanderthals, us knuckle draggers, <laughs> jump up into. You're actually you know? all. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, they're like, you know, they have the best of both worlds. They, you know, they, they, uh, they can be a drama queen like a woman, but they can take a dick like a man. Nothing? Come exactly. on, people. This is great. Nobody else here. Christy, yeah, I yell at the invisible people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always yell at the invisible crowd around me. <laughs> Somebody at home's laughing. They're, they're, they really aren't. <laughs> this is a serious podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just a big piece of shit. No one takes me serious. Um, but so you're 17 years in now. That's so crap. How long have I known you now? Because I, when I met you, you were like 13 in... Man, I think. okay. I know what year I met you. I met you 2019. Right. So almost five yeah, years ago. So, which is 2024 it? now. So, like, maybe uh, four, four and a half years? Like, so, I was, yeah. So, I was probably like closer to like 12 years in the stand up when I met you. Yeah. But I met you knowing of you because right. you're a comedy store OG. So when you go through the comedy store system and you like, you know, you're a door guy there and then you then you get, you know, get passed and all that, especially when you're a door guy there, you kind of get this, um, in the first few months, you get this, uh, you basically get a crash course in everybody who is like a comedy store person. So I had like, there's plenty of people like I met Tom Driesen the other day, and I was like, "Hilarious!" I've known you for. I know you don't know me, but I've known you forever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. as a and at a store level, like more than obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. A famous comedian, like legendary stand up in his own right, but as a comedy store guy, comedy store guy to comedy store guy. It's Which it bites me. Yeah. Can I just say this? Tom Driesen is having a renaissance right now. Are you aware of this? I someone yeah. else in LA told me that he's been like popping up and crushing shit. I'm like, re- I, like, I love this because 
we're all I'm an old, I'm not as old as him. He's like, you know, dirt age. But it's he's like <laughs> You know, so it's like he's, it's great. He's yeah, he's like te- like Mooney would say, he's ten minutes older than dirt. So I mean you know he's up there with he's dirt. Well, I'm yeah. Too. yeah, he's up there with the when the earth he probably still has some blisters on his feet when the earth was still warm. Nothing? Uh, so, but it's like it's so cool to hear us old heads popping up and just crushing and then the kids today are discovering us and they're like this is amazing you know it's my buddy arthur my buddy arthur hamilton he's a very funny stand-up comedian young dude black guy but mind you this is significant i don't mean to bring race into this but the reason i say this is tom dreesen's tom dreesen's uh range you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is uh-huh. really vast. And I get, I just, yeah. my buddy, my buddy, um, he sends me, he just sends me these stand clips all the time. Like, and he starts sending me Tom Dreesen clips. Like, I fucking love this guy. I was like, this is Tom Dreesen. He's like, who is he? I'm like, bro, Les is a, this is like a Les- legend. I was breaking it down to him, but then he's got me on his clip. So the reason Tom Dreesen's killing it right now is that mm-hmm. we live in the, the clip era. His yeah. jokes, I mean, if you remember his style, mm-hmm. it's kind of an old school throwback style. It is perfect for a clip. He gets yeah. a higher joke within 30 to a minute, right? Like yeah. 30 seconds to a minute clip. Yeah. A whole Tom Reason joke, which they're not just regular setup punch. They're like kind of, mm-hmm. they're, they're intricate too. It's crazy, but it, his style's always been that way. It's yeah. just interesting how the times caught up to him. Well, what I find too, maybe you've noticed this too, is like, especially because you've been spending a lot of time in Austin, so you're around Joe Rogan and Holtzman and those guys that are all always around. Yeah. And uh, so there's a different era of style that doesn't die. Tom, the way you're supposed to do doesn't die. It just right. hit, it gets re uh, um, what's the word? Not reinvented, but uh, re- no re. No, rediscovered. Rediscovered. Because, it, like, because every generation, you know, we know what happens at that time because we lived it. And then we yeah. move on and we expect everybody knows it's like that. But then the kids today that come up never have been exposed to that. So they start discovering stuff and it goes viral over again. Say, you know, with everything gets rediscovered. Yeah. If we no, no. So it's like history repeats itself. And it's like, I tell, like, I'm starting a show out here once a month, and I'm calling it, I'm not sure, I was going to call it Heavy Hitters, but I might call it Road Dog, so we're going to film it for uh, a Roku channel, and like a comedy series, like a comedy docu-series, like stand-up, like a special, like like a Netflix special kind of like thing, that. but then have yeah. the back scenes, the backstage scenes of, uh, like, the green room and how we prepare, and we're road dogs. Like, we haven't been discovered. We're not world, you know, famous names. We're not household names. But we are the essential workers of stand-up. We keep yeah. the arteries of America flowing with comedy because big names don't play in little clubs or shit towns. You know what I mean? Yeah. We do. We live off those. That's our bread and butter. So the big names are playing theaters and stadiums and, and big cities. You know, they're doing that. Or we're playing, you know, bumfuck, you know, Tennessee. You know, and you know, but we keep the the legacy going of what stand-up comedy is. So, you know, we make a living, we make money, we survive, we're good, we're doing what we love. But no one, we're not a household name. So, I want to do a show about this. So, we're going to film it either March or April. I'm waiting to hear dates back. So, but yeah, like comics that are like 20, 
30 and 40 years in, I'm bringing them all in that are all my road dogs. And it's going to be a beast of a show and we're going to do a series of it. No doubt. People don't know that like the, the funniest comedians aren't always the famous ones. You know, it's like anything, anything. Uh, okay. If you're doing stand up, you're the only time we practice is while we do it. So there's no strum in our guitar in our room. You know what I mean? No, I mean, when you're, when you no. start out, it's embarrassing because those first few notes that you're doing are in front. Imagine you're a guitar player and the first, you're literally like, bang, 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 and you're in front of an audience, right? So sure. it takes a long time to practice because you're about, it's about getting the stage time and all that. Well, mm-hmm. you can do anything for that long and you're surviving off of it. You, you know, you're making a living off. These road guys aren't poor people. They're not, you know, it's no. like they're not broke. They're, they're making a, a living, but like anybody, off of being out there on the road maybe they're not famous but they're good they're not that has nothing yeah the fame fame is separate from good you know what i mean like thank you thank you you have both you can have both yeah no doubt but you can also have one or the other and uh yeah especially like you're saying that 20 year up those guys and they've been doing it this whole time and they've made a full-on living like not just a living though like they have kids they have a family imagine raising a not. family off to just stand up the, i'm telling you they're good at and you may not oh. know them and maybe they don't have the thing where you know the social media thing or they don't have the podcast yeah. or the they're not actors mm-hmm. they're not doing the, the hollywood thing they're just solely out there and they're on the road oh, they're not but they're road dogs they've had these connections with club owners for decades and and now make their same rounds every single year. I'm telling you, those are some of the best comedians because every crowd they go up in front of, they have to, They it's not like they're crap. They're winning over a whole new crop of people every single night. You keep you, you 20 years doing that every night, like you get pretty damn good. Yeah. Some of these guys yeah, are just, because you, they're, they're, well, there's monsters out there, I, unknown monsters. Yeah, I have buddies that I work on the East Coast with out here that we hit the road from here to from Jersey to Philly, down to Delaware, up to Boston. Like, these guys are beasts, and we'll co-headline together, and then we'll swap off who goes first. Like, if we're doing a weekend, like like my buddy Mark Rigadonna, he'll be like, because he's a storyteller. He does feel-good stuff, dad jokes, and I'm a piece of shit. So we Mm -hmm. kind of, you know balance each other out and that's how we sell our show we go like we do like the naughty and nice you know good versus evil and you know i how we presented it was like you know he's dad jokes and stories and feel goods and i'm a piece of shit and the club starts laughing like that's such a funny but everybody gets something but it's like we're so different but we're so like like we're beasts and we have no name no tv credits that are big enough for people to give a shit about and they just come out because these clubs and these rural towns have these built-in club fan bases. You know, they know that's the comedy club in town. They know headliners from New York and Los Angeles and everywhere else in Chicago are coming through. So they know it's going to be good. So they just show up and and then they don't know who you are, but it's really cool when you win them over and they're like, oh my God. Like, and it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it is hard. But it's not at the same, you know, it's not, it is harder with the sense that that you don't have a name where you want to get the people in. But at the same time, it's like, I love it because they don't know who you are. So they have no preconceived prejudice against you or for you. 
Yeah. That's a fun part of it, too, is winning people. Like, they don't have this already opinion about you that they've right. formed. So it's more like, They're... what you got? Who is this? Yeah. And there's something about that 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 actually works in your favor, having the blank canvas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this, yeah, like, it like, does. Like, they're take them anywhere. Anywhere. There's nothing that they're looking for. They're just like, they're uh, an empty book. It's like, just, you're, you're like, go. Let's, what do you got? Yeah. What do you have? You know, how can I relate to you? I saw yeah, last they're going out to see a comedy show, not to. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, an old school comedy. I mean, that's. That's how it was. That's how it, I mean, right now it's clearly a comedy boom. Um, but I was started stand up like, well, you, you were there in the nineties. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm embarrassed even though I was, I was there in the mid two thousands, but you were there in the nineties. That's way worse. Uh, I was there at least, you know, at least, uh, there were some famous comedians or at least some things were happening. Like my era, like when I'm in high school, it's uh, like David Tell is coming up. Jim Gaffigan was bit, was yep. blowing up. Dane Cook yep. is like the number one comedian on the planet. Those were my guys, you know what I mean? Um, and so, but that was better than nothing. You know what I mean? Like 90s, like who did you, have? well, no, I take that back. You had Chris Rock. So you had black comedy. You had great black comedy. The 90s was like, so much that we Def have Jam. But, but, oh Def Jam was big but it was like like we had the urban circuit but I always separate the comedy store from other clubs like you know mm -hmm. in the 90s we dubbed it the land of the misfit toys I used to call it out of all three clubs it was the jazz club where you go scat and it'll you know, jazz fusion and go crazy Yo, yeah. you know the improv to me was like this pretty corporate gig you know, uh, the Laugh Factory to me was the WB back then, the Wagons Brothers. And yeah. then the comedy store was Animal House, you know? Uh. And, and we were just a bunch of degenerates. And it was like, like I, I was like, football teams wise, like we were we were the Oakland Raiders. We were Al Davis's Oakland Raiders back Hell then. Man. You know, we were just yeah. mutants out of prison. Oh yeah. And you know, losers. You know, fuck ups, and then you know all I the loved that era. and all the smart kids were, yeah. So, but also too, it was really tough because nobody was going out to comedy back then because it was just, uh, you know, the internet had just been invented, not like it is now. It was the information highway back then, or yeah. information yeah. superhighway? People renting not... right, and right. people were at home nobody watching. Publishing their skin. Yeah, Black, uh, blockbuster video was huge. You know, renting movies and taking them home was a big deal back then. So okay. instead of going out and spending money, people would stay home and watch movies because it was it was the new thing. Like, how cool is this? So getting people out was really tough. Like we would hit the hotels with Mitzi had those two for one tickets that she had made and we would stack them in all the of all the concierges in the hotel around the store and oh, yeah. liar cars. I, I have a few of those because yeah. I, I, I was like kind of a collector. Hang on to those, baby. Yeah, I know. She had those. She had, um, you know what's crazy? The So like, you know, I used to work the phones at the comedy store, so I would have free range to that entire building all day. There's nobody in that, yep. no soul in there about me. And uh, when my buddy Tony, Tony Hinchcliffe, 
he gets the job there like a few weeks after me i helped him get the job there we like met doing mics there when we first started and he uh-huh. had the same kind of obsession with the comedy store that i had like i was obsessed I, the comedy store when i so i'm from i grew up in long beach california as soon as i got my driver's license i would drive up to the comedy store wow i buy whoa i was in high school i was literally i'd go after school and I would drive by the store and I slowly look in there, see if any, I bet that man's comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's Polly, you know? <laughs> so I always, so as soon as I turned 21, yep. I was like, I'll get in. And then, and then, I mean, I got a job there. What an honor. Like I couldn't, you know, I, my, I was living a dream at 21, being a door guy at the comedy store in this yeah. building that I loved. And I had free range over the entire property. Yep. Like I go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we would go search in like file cabinets that were just like probably weren't open for decades and we found all these old pay stubs for like uh-huh. huge comedians i found richard pryor pay stubs yeah uh robin williams sam kinnison and you see their names printed out there and the, how much they got paid yeah i mean and like looking back i wish i would have jacked that shit i mean I probably can never get my hands on it again. And nobody gives a fuck about it now. Like, it's probably still in some other storage cabinet that will never see the light of day. Like, I would have framed that shit. Yeah. Like, like back in my day, you know, how, like, my my best friend here at the time, we were doing extra work and getting our SAG cards and all that shit. And then she goes, if you don't go to the comedy store and get on that fucking stage and do an open mic, I'm going to kill you. I'm tired of listening to you bitch about being a comic. So I said, all right, fine. So I went to the comedy store one afternoon, pulled into the lot, walked in, and Dave Schuler was the day manager at that time. Gay, bear, hey girl. And I walked in looking for a job as a waitress. And we sat down. Within 30 seconds, I had the job. And we were kiki in. I was there for like three hours. We're laughing, drinking tea. Holly and Bobby Ludington came in. I met the dog, Archie. And, and then Mitzi came later as I was leaving. I was like, oh my God, it's Mitzi Shore. Like I was having a heart attack. And it was just so crazy. And then, you know, I get hired as a waitress. And then, you know, waiting tables. And then, you know, I started doing more because, you know, she hires all of us. So at the time, waitresses were not allowed to talk to comedians unless the comedian was ordering a drink otherwise you'd get fired jesus so we had to be on our best behavior you know eleanor was there lauren peltz jennifer freeman they were the 1995. oh so uh yeah so i was i was we weren't allowed to yeah yeah fuck you and then so uh, we're not allowed to. And then waitresses were not allowed to talk to comics, let alone be a comic. So I had to sneak and do like on, on potluck night. They had two lists for Mitzi. One that she saw with the employees on it and one that they gave to the cover booth that had my name on it. So at that time, they, they were playing double standard because they didn't want me to get fired for being a comic and totally going against waitresses weren't allowed there on their days off. They weren't allowed, oh, yeah. allowed I mean, we were like in prison. So, you know, I'd have to hide when she would come in for showcases. I'd hide in the main room, in the bathroom, and then they had to wait till she left. It was hilarious. So, um, 
whatchamacallit, I started doing more things around the comedy store. I got, I was working the phones. I was working in accounting. I was Scott Day, the talent coordinator's assistant. Um, I was Mitzi. She called me her all around girl. So I did everything at the store. Like I was doing all these jobs just because it was, you know, I'm, I need to make money. I'm a starving kid. So I got on her good side and she loved me so much. And then one day they were sitting around like she goes, all right, who's on the, the potluck list for Sunday and blah, blah, blah. Because it was still Sundays. It wasn't Sundays and Mondays yet. Uh-huh. And then um, and she got the list with my name on it. And they were like and Scott and Matt, uh, Mike Becker was her vice president at the time. So it was Mike Becker, uh, Scott Day and uh, Dave Schuler with her in her office. And uh, they're sitting there and she sees the list and she's reading the employees and she sees my name. She goes, what? Chris, he's a performer. And they've all, Scott Day told me, he goes, they all turned white. They're like, oh God, she's going to fire her. Oh my God. Oh my God. And she goes, ah, that's great. I love it. And slammed the paper down and they all just went, oh, thank God. And then I was able to run free in the store. And like, did you keep on working those jobs there? Yeah, I was everything. I do stand up. You know, I was do, able to do stand up in the belly room, and I was, you know, doing show whatever. I got to do. You literally. Uh, who were some of the paid regulars? Hmm? Who were some of the paid regulars? Oh, it's freezing. Oh God! Ah, uh, wow, that's uh, that's going way back. Well, we didn't have a lot of guidance, you know, because managers were getting fired every six minutes. So we always met a new manager <laughs> and we would make fun. Like the time Nancy Lores was our night manager and she was there for a long time. And, uh, she, uh, but we get these other managers and we would tell them, we'll never learn your name unless you're here for six months, because why bother? You're going to get fired right. in a couple of weeks anyway. So, um, so a lot of the comics kind of ran roost. I mean, we would get spots. I mean, this is before I was a paid regular. I was still, you know, working my way up. So it was like Freddie Soto, um, Eddie Griffin, uh, you know, of course, Dice and Joe Rogan, Carlos Menci. It was the star of the club. That was her star child. Brian Holtzman was this crazy guy she would put on at 10 or 1030 to separate the room from, you know, 8 to 10. And then he would start late night. You know, Holtzman always got a half hour spot. And when Holtzman would go on, the lights would go out in the OR. And sit, you know, they have to keep the lights on in the early part of the show. And the order, they still do that? Like, we'd have the lights uh, on in the room, and it would be like, on potluck. During potluck, okay. they would do that. Not the paid yeah. regular shows now. Okay. But it, it, it would, the Holtz would go on, and all the lights would go down. And that's when you knew late night was starting. And then Holtzman, so yeah, it was amazing. And so... All the people that were headlining, which was, you know, Carlos got the spot every night and him and Joe Rogan got Fear Factor. So he was blowing up and then him and Carlos were butting heads because Carlos was a thief, you know, and it was just like this whole thing. It was hilarious. And uh, Mooney would close out in the main room and in the OR and we had a and it was just, you know, Johnny Sanchez was there, uh, Cardinale. uh, who else? Bob Oshak. Yeah, um, I know all these kids. That's so crazy. Yeah, who else was there? It's so yeah. crazy that through the years, it's like those were your yeah, Argus Hamilton. Yeah, Argus Hamilton. 
Cheryl Vendetti opened the main room every Saturday because it was only open one night a week because it was very slow. And Cheryl Vendetti would open it, then Argus, and then whoever else. Um, uh, God. It's, it's just hard to remember, like, all, everybody. Like, when I see the old lineups, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then, like, uh, I got made a paid regular right after I came here for, I was with Paul Mooney at the end of 99 here in New York at Caroline's. Because I got close to Mooney right away. Like, my first week there, I met him, and we became instant, like, father-daughter. Like, it was insane. Yeah. And then, I was, and, uh, I was so when I, yeah. Yeah, I, kind of, my, I almost kind of, dropped my kind of, cap. He was kind of mean to me. Yeah. yeah. By the time I got, I, yeah. And then, yeah, no, no, exactly. Cause like I sent that to somebody, like, oh, no, that, you definitely met Paul Mooney. Yeah, you got to meet Mooney. You met Mooney. It's an honor. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so funny. I love when he gets mad at white guys. That's what it was. It was about my whiteness. He's like, yeah. none of you white boys beat yeah. me. It didn't yep. even make sense. It was like, we're not even in the same. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned Brian Holtzman, another guy who's having a renaissance right now. Yes. It's fucking, yes. I mean, especially yes. here in Austin, he fits right in. He's got yes. his own show at the mothership, the dark side of the mothership. And they do the same thing where they, when he goes on, they change the lights. The lights look different. Yeah. And that has a lot. That will have this red, from the comedy have this red brim. So it kind of looks like the comedy yeah. when he goes on. My gig, a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, Adam puts me on after him. So I go, I, I follow Holtzman a lot. That'll make you better. Because when I was coming up, when I got, when I got made a paid regular, I when I finally showcased, I got passed. The first, my first paid spot, I followed Dom Irera. So, you know, I'm shitting my pants in the back of the OR going, and he's ripping, effortless, just standing there. Ah, oh, he's a fuck. Oh my god! There's an un. There's a. It doesn't get enough recognition. This one skill set that he has because he's so well rounded. I mean, dude, he's also evolved. Like you know, in the '80s, like he was like a character guy. Like he would do characters. Now he's it's yeah. nothing like that. Um, yeah. But one thing he, I always admired about him, he's so good at bombing. Like, have you, like, oh, he bought an activate. He's like funnier than ever. He could have never been oh. that funny had he not started bombing for some reason. And if, if he's killing, he's destroying. So it's like, yeah, a killer, he's great. But when it doesn't go his way, I've oh, never so he taught funny. me, he taught me patience. It's like in, yeah. in the face of a bomb, when, when things are going bad, don't get, don't get angry, don't nope. get worried. Be, he was just nope. so calm. And, and I actually, it, have fun with it and be aware be, like you're not stop hiding it it's clearly happening and uh it's the elephant in the room have fun with it like right. when which is a part of it go my way yeah yeah but it, it, it's it, part of the it, show. It, but if you don't bomb you're not trying you're not taking chances and oh. comics that go oh i never bomb well then you're really not taking a chance i'm sorry yeah you're not no, pushing they... yourself for the next level yeah. It's very, it's like, and you're not taking risks. And then you get to a point yeah. where everything you do will come out. Like, like I'm 28 years in, I cannot wait, Matt, until my 30 year, because it's that all the growth spurts and all the years and all the, the decades of your career 
Oh, I love the jumps. I love when I hit milestones. Like when I hit 20, I was so stoked. When I hit 25, I was like, this is great. Now I'm looking forward to 30 because at 30, it becomes this whole thing where no matter what you do, you don't even have to even think about a bit. Everything you do will come out as your voice. Like at 20 years in, you could go out and think of a bit and it'll automatically come out. But at 30, you don't even have to do a bit and it'll come out in your voice. It's almost like uh, it gives us something to look forward to when it comes to aging. Oh, when I, the world goes on to age, nobody wants to age. Uh, but something about when you're a comedian, you know that 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 next decade is a good thing. You're that much better. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I, so I don't know what I would do. Because I'm the kind of vain person that, like, me getting older and looking older, like, that would tear me up if I wasn't a comedian. But, like, now it's just, like, I, every new year, I don't think of my 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 age in life. I think of my age as a comedian and, like, oh, yeah, I'm even closer yeah. to that that 20-year mark where I've seen those guys. They get that, yeah. they get they hit God mode where, like you said, you can literally just be like, oh, I'm going to talk about this tonight and just start, you know. Yeah. yeah, or just have a, like, hey, man, what's going on? And murder. You know, like, because it's the way you say it, because you've worked that muscle. It's 30,000 hours of experience. Yeah. Well, that's so like, it's like literally how Paul Mooney did stand up. Yeah. He was just like, I, go up there. He had like a yeah. burlo or something and just go up there and. No, it was a, it was a, he'd have a, a champagne split or a crevassier. Oh, so, yeah. So like, whatever it was. Kept it real, homie. There, and he just spits out gold and you're, you're going. Yeah. Wait, is that a joke? Did he write that? Or is that really just coming out of his Office face right now? Yeah, exactly. I remember you one time when I first, Yeah, when I first started, and this is where, you know, because people will come up to me and go, did you just make up that whole 45-minute set? I go, no, it's material. I have, I mean, I made up the crowd work as I went along, but, right. you know, it's, it's, it's all planned, you know, not like in a row. The crowd yeah. dictates where I go, what I'm going to say. And like, even when I did my album, Brutally Yours on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you stream. Um, yeah. That's my shit. And I can also second um, I was at I was at that recording and it was fucking great. Thank you. And do you know about 20 something minutes of that was off the cuff? Like stuff I had in my head that I hadn't, pro- I haven't what, tried. Is that like it, was that it, like the, like the beginning the or? Theater. In the beginning and some in the middle and some in the end, like it was split up. Oh shit. The whole beginning, the whole opening was off the cuff. The whole opening was off about, the cuff. I still think about one of your jokes from that. <laughs> oh, a joke that I literally think about. So it makes me laugh. And sometimes I'll just like say it to myself in the elevator. It's the Jimmy Walker joke. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, we act on crack. What? We found one in day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to do that joke the other night because someone dropped his name on stage before me. They said they were oh, my friend Sean Lynch. He was working with Jimmy Walker and he was so excited. I go, Jimmy Walker, what a name to drop in a room full of 20-year-olds. They don't fucking care. And I'm roasting him. I said, these kids know him from the Medicare commercial. So I got to do the so fun. And it murdered. But because hey, that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That that's, that's, there's a generation of people that know him from the Medicare commercial. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, and he was like a brilliant stand-up. An iconic, yeah, and an iconic he, sitcom star. He, in fact, he, he created 
right fun fact about the comedy store though he was their first famous guy yeah that was the first famous comedian that was yep. like a, had a tv show they was doing the hollywood yep. thing yep you know like oh, before prior yeah. come like prior's already kind of famous by the time he gets to the store you know like it was got this guy was, comedy yeah a name in comedy I, he wasn't famous mm -hmm. but he, had, he was a he was a name in comedy jj walker's the first guy that was like a celebrity a tv star yeah like a tv star in comedy yeah no absolutely now he's get your money <laughs> crazy jimmy needs a walker good night <laughs> i wonder if but, oh, man it's I don't know if that's sad or not, or if that's what you get for just making it so hard that like, hey man, if you want, you could, there's this cash grab at the end of your life you could get. You just do, for for yeah. this, for me and you, you don't have to audition, show up, uh, say this stuff about Medicare. Do, we'll give you half a million. Yeah, yeah, just do <laughs> the thing and. Yeah, to yeah. do what you're known for. Yeah, no, 100%, because he's catering to the people that know him at that age group. So they're gonna resonate with, with Kid Dynamite. You know, instead of Grandpa Dynamite or Grandma Dynamite, you know, so it's um, but like with Mooney, like you know, working with him, one night when I first started, he's on stage in the OR. There's two people in the front row, and you know they've been beaten up since eight o'clock, and it's like one in the morning, and he's got his champagne split with the red straw, and he puts his feet up on the table in front of him on the stool, and he does an hour of destruction for these two, to them, and just talking. And he's doing his material, but he's just talking like, hey, did you hear about this? You know, like he's on a, like he's having a phone conversation. It was crazy. But it was like my first, Slow. my first witness. Can you, uh, did it cut out? No, I'm listening. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, can you okay, hear me? But uh, it was like my, yeah, totally. Um, it was like, it was like my first introduction to watching a comedian, a master at who he was and at his craft sit down and turn his act into a one-hour phone conversation with these people and it was so fascinating because i was like you know like a month in you know i had placenta on my face it was terrible and he always gave me a piece of advice after that he said honey i don't care if there's one person or a thousand people in the audience do your show and that always stuck with me after that night so and it, it's true he's a if there's one person i'm going ham i'm hamming out yeah I don't punish yeah. that one person for being the nice one to buy a ticket and no one else did. I give them the VIP experience. I said, this is a private show, you know, like people pay thousands of dollars for a private show and you're getting it for two Diet Cokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, you really gotta, you really gotta take yourself out of it because if you're gonna yep. think it about you, it's, you're gonna be disappointed. Like, oh, nobody showed up. But like, uh, yeah, yeah the show's for that, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, we get off by doing a good job and, and connecting, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's where we get ours. But in order to do that, you have to show up for them. Yeah. Well, I get more pleasure out of maybe, I don't know, you probably do too, is when there is only two people in the audience versus 2000 people. And you're murdering these two people who are by themselves in the room and you're doing 20 to 30 and you're killing that to me is priceless because they don't have other people to feed off of they're the only ones in the room so all eyes are on them so all the pressure's on them to laugh and they're unconditionally falling out of their chair laughing having fun they're into it you know it's it's it's, it's, it's an honor you know to me that's 
that's when you know you can kill is when there's two people and you murder the room and it sounds like 20 people that to me is like that's that's a master of your craft oh yeah because most yeah those comics you know get power to the i call empty chair syndrome they cower down to all the seats that aren't filled yeah, and they make fun of the room. They make fun of the booking. They make fun of, oh, what'd you guys do? Lose a bet? <laughs> oh, I could have dialed this in from my. I could have emailed my set in tonight. Could have done yeah. this in my living room. Fuck this club. No, fuck you, Wait. asshole. Yeah, they're all. You're where they are. You're yeah. not better than them. Like that's mm-hmm. that's you're in this together. I always say it's like when you kill, it's a group effort. Not not no one yeah. comedian kills. It takes them. Yeah. It takes all of us. You know what I mean? Like it takes uh Yeah. Wall kill. The whole radio. I like Yeah, I like to go in and vibe the room, see what they're reacting to to the comics before me. Even if yeah. I'm headlining like, just to open it actually but I I enjoy the show too. Yeah. This is as well I think it's, it's like you get old enough to like do the opposite of what some of your mentors have taught. I had a mentor who I, I love and and I there, he was write about almost everything and i had to get to a point where i had to start making my own choices that worked for me he was a guy that he always was like i I've never watched the guy before me i don't want to have that in my head i want to go clean slate and you know that's cool that, that could be that works for him but for me i like you know every second you're up there especially the first few seconds all you're doing is downloading information you're just getting the information yeah. with everything you're going to yeah. need to know to how to talk to them and your inflection and your timing and all that. It's all, yeah. you learn that there. I feel like when you get there and the guy before you at least has the light on, you know what I mean? Maybe he's got a minute or two. You kind of get a head start at that process. That's a whole part of the yeah. show. You're going to have yeah. fun anyway. You might as well see what's good. You know, to see like what, what kind of the vibe is and how to, because I've made choices off stage for how I'm going to work on stage that have been the right choice. And it was just, it was a smooth transition. I go right up there and take it. And rather than figure it out the hard way while I'm up there and adjust, it's like, I made all the adjustments already. So when I got there, yeah. it was just a, a set. But you know, sometimes you'll like, the the laughs could come tighter and like, mm-hmm. you need to hit her. Like you just need to like, kind of like, there's no time to like lean into your punches. You almost have to be ready with the next setup. You know what I mean? It's like da 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 da. The whole set might just be that, and then there's yeah. some sets, you know, where it's like you find out that they maybe they only laugh at the punchline. For some reason, the setups aren't getting much. But when you finish the joke, there's that laugh, and it's a longer laugh. That's a whole different pace, though, because then yeah. you have to like then then when you start a new joke, it's just like you kind of got to stay calm or maybe t- tell it a little bit quicker because all you're doing is getting to the punch. And that's all the laughter you're going to get. It's weird how they're all together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for the most part, the whole room is on the same wavelength. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this communal understanding of every room. And they don't know. They have no idea. To them, it's all all liminal shit. Like, they walk into a comedy club and their subconscious connects in to, we're at a comedy club. There's going to be jokes, so we're going to watch people and laugh. So subliminally in their head, in the club, they're already set up. Like the, the on switch is already on to watch a show, watch live stand-up comedy. Versus if you go to like some, you know, offbeat dive bar in the corner and just happen to set up a show, people aren't 
in the same frame of mind subliminally because they're at a bar, there's TVs on, there's, you know what I mean? Or there's something else going on and then you see a pop-up comedy show and then you have to really win them over and get them to pay attention because subliminally they're in a social se- in a social setting. So they're not wanting to shut up or listen. Right. Right. You know, they're they're at a bar. They're not even facing you. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I use that analogy because when you go into a club, it clicks. Yeah. You know, it's designed that in way. their head. It's it's set up. It's all subliminal. They walk in, your mind already is like, all right, I'm gonna see stand up comedy. This is great. And they're already ready to open and welcome. And they'll give you that yeah. we call it the six minute grace period. They'll give you the first few minutes. But I always like what you were saying, you know, before you're saying before about the guy on before you. I like to watch the MC because usually they set up where everybody's from. So then I take little notes where areas people are from. Because there's nothing more annoying than seeing every single comedian on the lineup go up. So where are you from? Bitch, we said it. We attention. And it's like it gets yeah. old after a while. And, it, and it's just like, so I take notes. All right, that, that area is from New Hampshire. This area is from Los Angeles. This area is from Chicago. So I map out my areas and I log them. And then I like to watch the comics before me. So if something pops off, something stupid, or if they bomb, or if they say something, I know if it's something like an elephant in the room type of situation, then I yeah. can address it and, and, and make it funny. And have like, here's an example. One night when I used to open for Paul Moody here at Caroline's, these guys that uh, had this Caribbean room in Prospect Heights in Brooklyn, they used to do a comedy show at this place called Janelle's uh, Caribbean. They had a stage, they always had live music there, but the first Friday of the month they did stand up. So the guy that was booking it, my friend Sherwin, uh, used to come see Paul Mooney every weekend. And he asked, like, I'd love you to come out. Would you do this room and headline? I said, sure. So I go out there and the kid, I'm, I'm the only white person. I'm, I'm the only snow bunny in the club, right? Which is, I love because I think it's hilarious because then they don't know what the fuck to expect out of me. And then I just have free reign. Um, the right. kid that went out for me was some new Jack who obviously was brand new and he had went to his bit was something about going to Goodwill to buy law that he found lingerie for sale at Goodwill. And he put the underwear and bra on over his clothes. And so I was like, and they were like laughing at him, not with him during the joke. Cause you know, black audiences will tell you straight up if they love you or not. And that's what I live for. So yeah. they weren't feeling him, but they were laughing at him and making right. fun of him. Yeah. So I had to follow this cause I was closing the show. So I went up and just, and he did some other bit and I combined his bit with his out and just won them over and destroyed the place because I'm like, how am I going to get them on my side? I'm the snow bunny in this fucking room. They're not going to want to listen to my ass, you know, like, so I had to fight. So I went in and just annihilated by making fun of that kid, addressing what had happened right before me. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was like, I could do no wrong. But it's like, you you need to assess what's happening because if you go up and don't know what's going on, the only way you can really get away with that is if you just go into your act and you're just powerful and you just barrel through and you don't address the audience. Or if you're a celebrity and you can be like, what the fuck happened? You know what I mean? Like it's because if something crazy- Great club is- 
Yeah. Yeah. It has to, it has to be set up really good, like to where yeah. Like, Yes, the yeah, audience yeah. is just kind of trained to know that this is a new guy and we're not we're basically deleting everything you just saw and, and yeah. you now but you're now watching the blank canvas you know i i yeah. somebody real battle you know real real battle uh -huh. like uh -huh. he made a good point about black rooms white people in black rooms where he was like uh mm -hmm. uh you're actually you have better odds as a white person yeah if you're the only white person because it's uh -huh. like you're exotic you're different yep well, and they also go, oh, this white girl's in here. Oh, we want to see what cool. he's going to do. She must be down because she's here. I And this is what I get when I play black rooms with comics that have never met me. They go, oh, who's this white girl in here? Oh, I want to see what she's going to do because they're curious. Like, yeah. why is the white girl here? Who's got the white clubs? The, you, you, remember, so, you remember uh, Honest John? Oh, I love Honest John. That's my I dude. mean, that guy would—he would destroy black rooms. This is an old white man. He's still like, old. He was like an old white man over. when he was young. Yeah. Oh, and he's he was old, old when I knew. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He's he would just drive up there, and he walks up there, and he just like flatlines this room. Dude, it's all. I he might be the only white guy on the show. Yeah, he back when Fat Tuesday started at the comedy yeah, store. That's where I saw him. Honest John was one of the first white guys, but no one thought of Honest John as a white guy. No, I never thought of Honest John as that, a white guy. Even now, when I now say it, on. yeah, it's almost like, like I never remember. Right? Yeah, but it was just he was his own thing, you know. Yeah, he was this old hippie, and he yeah. was an old hippie when I met him thirty years Change ago. So girls just constantly yep. smoking cigarettes every second he gets, and he's like a yeah. hundred years old. It's insane. Yeah, we meet the yeah. craziest fucking characters. Love the comedy store is the most eclectic bunch. We're the most fucked up, dysfunctional family, and I wouldn't change one soul in that building. Christy, you gotta uh, uh, like, see the you, you gotta see the mothership. It's pretty interesting because Rogan. It's I know. I, There's a lot of places when you walk through the we walk through it, you see where he paid homage to the store. I mean, there's things I that are straight got up store. Mitzi, Aww. and there's that big yeah. famous picture of her. She might have been in her 40s. You know what I'm talking about? The, oh yeah, I know the big one. Yeah, yep. you know the picture. Yep. I know um, it pretty well. Yep. There's so many little details, like subtle details. It's definitely its own thing, and it's definitely the theme is. You know, it's like, it's the mothership. You could tell when you get there. But if you look at certain things, they may seem a little bit off. Or it's like, what's that doing here? It's like, it's it's a store reference. It's yeah, and really if you're a cool store comic. Yeah, but if you're a yeah. store comic, not out of place. It's like, no, it's actually, here. if you're yeah. a store comic, I, I think store comics would appreciate it more than any other kind of comedian. I mean, every comedian is going to appreciate it because it's also one of the few clubs ever that's built from the ground up as a as as a comedy club it was a right. alamo draft house which is a movie theater so theater mm -hmm. close but right. he literally he gutted it and and the way like they even so the fat man is their is their main room basically right like their premier 300 seater um Sweet. apparently like louis ck came in while i was still under construction he's like uh, -huh. uh lower the ceiling you know like what would have five feet or some you know sign amount yeah, he actually knew the exact amount to lower it and joe's yeah. like okay yeah. and he did it and it just it's, it's like the acoustics yeah it's the I mean, that means, and so louis walked in there and now that means joe and louis are walking in they're just 
the little, I mean, these guys know better than anybody. I mean, Louie is the ultimate club comedian, whereas Joe's just this grizzled vet and stand up. So like yeah. these guys, I mean, it is tailor made. It, it's the apple of, of, uh, stand up yeah. because it's like, it's literally like, um, it's user friendly. It's made for us. And the, oh, little boy, like the little boy is basically this original room, belly room hybrid. Well, Joe would tell you it's like right. the original room meets the belly room. I would, uh-huh. I would say that and put a, put a hint of La Jolla in there as far as ah, it's oh, it's like butter it's like cutting butter it's the most funnest pill room that there is like the Ah. little boy is like that kind of fun as far as the as the slaughter goes it's made to destroy the little little boy fat man was like that's cute i thought it would be called jake and the fat man get it never mind it's bad at the 80s reference (laughs) but actually i don't get it I hate you. And it was a cop show on this TV in the 80s called Jake and the Fat Man. So, anyway, forget it. It's gone. <laughs> but my boy, I used to call it shooting babies in a barrel. Like, it was yeah, right. just, hey. Like fishing with the, a grenade. Yep. You just, that, that room was like, if you sucked, you did good there. But if you bombed there, you should kill yourself. Oh yeah, like you, you should never really do kill yourself. Yeah. You should never you have no excuse. Yeah, get out of town, leave, because I'll chase you. Yeah, out. I was so. three months into stand up the first time I did it, and I was like, "Whoa, that's what it must feel like to be good." Yeah, no, it's true. I remember going down there. You know, Mitzi would let us go down and use the condo. Yeah, right. You know, give me the keys, and we'd go down. And Bobby Lee was a doorman down there, and. Uh, other dude Andre was there and Mark Fernandez and like they all were the La Jolla guys and uh, yeah. it was just it was so much fun it's so special but the little boy feels like that it's like this it's oh. I mean it is I'm having a blast here right now I mean this scene this Austin you know New York and LA they'll always be you know what I mean the, the two biggest yeah. scenes what's mm-hmm. what's great about those scenes is that they're so legendary and they're hardened you know what i mean and that's where all the greatest comedians are what's Mm -hmm. making austin amazing is there's just enough great comedians that are veterans that are here now that raise the bar of the bar of a very young scene these guys are young i mean they're like 20s and like yeah five years into standing and so they're so fresh there's no bitterness there's no competition i always feel like we talk about jokes more like how yeah. somebody would go like, up, well, like you should try try saying it like this and they're like oh yeah and then somebody else would chime in and then we all go in there and watch the guy's set and be like that's how you do it i mean everybody yeah there's this sense of we're all in this that's the comedy store right yeah, well, that's, and that's a comedy store works and that's what i miss i hate there's not a scene like that here the thing that comes closest is the seller but at the same time, everybody's out to cut each other's throat. And I miss... Why don't you get like that in L.A. also? I think L.A. Yeah. I think it, and it's part of the hardenedness of the cities. I mean, these cities right. are yeah. hard. They're just cement. Whereas, yeah. and there's nothing... I mean, that that's okay because you need that, you know? And it's great that those two scenes are there. And obviously, they're always going to be the front runners. But there's a special thing happening in the South right now where it's... 
there's a newness, there's a freshness, there's an excitement. And these guys, I mean, they are going up and practicing a lot every single night and, and they're writing a lot and they're following. I mean, we got some great comedians here. I mean, Joe Rogan, but we also have Tom Sundora, you know, oh, I love Tom. Cliff. We have uh, Christina Pazitsky, um, Brian Simpson, Shane Gillis. Who's you know Shane is yeah fucking monster, and yeah. so so all these young guys are now being um, exposed to some great stand. Just like at the store, you know, I would follow like a a, a Bill Burr or I would follow a Sebastian. You know, I would have to get. Sometimes people wouldn't show up in my late spot. Get moved hours early because nobody was there, and I'm the guy yeah. after fucking you know. Like uh, yeah. like any of those guys who are now they're all so famous, you know, they still go there. Yeah. That's what's great. The store is still awesome because all those old guys that that you know the only difference now is that they're they're famous because be, when I was watching them, it felt like this cool secret. Like you know, oh, I would tell my friends, you know, like yeah, I see this guy is Sebastian. I was such a Sebastian Mark. I was such a big fanboy of this guy, and he was. Not to say nobody, but he wasn't selling out Madison Square Garden. He probably nope. wasn't selling out anything. But I, I remember when he's showcase on stage. I was I said when he's showcase. Yeah. And now he's like, you know, just now he's the beast. God bless. He found yeah. he found his path. And that's that's the key. Yeah. Like and, did that. And, and I and I, was, I full hipster about it because I, I was like, dude, I I thought he was cool before any of you did. You know, like I'm I'm very Los Feliz when it comes to Sebastian because I have this layer Los Feliz, you are retarded. Because I have this fucking I was there. I'm telling you, man, he nope, there'd be like six people in the room and, and I'm watching them watch it for the first time. So like the right. thing that I knew was special, I'm watching yeah. this the every man come in and be like, Who who is that? I mean, I'm working the door. So they're coming up yeah. to me. Who's that uh, Italian guy from Chicago? Like, oh, that's the bad yeah. man of Scalco. He's the fucking man. Um, you know, when I asked to work the phones, they this is before, you know, modern internet. So, like, there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't, yeah. you know, Instagram. So nope. the only promoting was the people would literally call the comedy store and ask what's going on. That's yeah, they asked who's on the I had my spiel. I, I knew everybody. So I knew exactly how to sell the show. Oh yeah, I was so good at it. I had my guys. I was like, "Oh, this guy, this guy, Brody," because I would even throw people in that nobody knew. But I'm like, "You're gonna like, what? What do you like?" You know, I would talk to these oh, yeah. guys on the phone. I did the same and, thing back then too. Was like, like, who do you like? And I'm like, "Oh, dude, they're all great. This guy, oh, master. This one, I uh, there was a couple. I was honest. There was a couple. I'm like, eh." You just it's fifty. Oh yeah, so I wouldn't even I wouldn't even mention those ones because it's like if you have it would make them laugh. It would make the food laugh on the yeah, right. Well, they trust you after that. It's like a, yeah. it's like a waitress exactly. you, like no, no, you don't want that. Order this. You know what I mean? Like when it, yeah. when a waitress would shoot down something, I'm always like, okay, I trust. Now I trust you. Yeah, because it's yeah. not even about it's on a human level, not a company level. It's like yeah, it's like the, it's a, yeah. So it would be like, well, I like guys that like that that talk to the crowd. Like, oh, you like crowd work guys. Well, there's this guy Rick Ingram. You're gonna just get here by by get here at nine. He's up at like ten thirty. You're gonna love this guy, this guy, this guy. Then wait till you see Rick Ingram. Remember the name because you're gonna go. Oh, that's what that guy was telling me on the phone. This is the guy. Yep. And you're and you're gonna be your. You, he's your new favorite comedian. I can already tell you that. Yep. So I had a way of selling it, 
and I took Love pride it. in it, you know? Aww. And now all these guys are famous. I don't have to say shit. Now the world yep. knows, you know? Yep. It felt like oh, it's a real secret. Now cat's out of the bag. And exactly. what's cool is now now comedy is in such a great place to where like there's so many different kinds and like there's something for everyone. That's why when I see people when I see the hate on the internet, like I'm always just like, then don't watch him. There's literally so many other comedians that are exactly what you need. I don't care where you're from. I don't care. I mean, I don't know. I I watch comedy. Maybe I watch it different. I I don't think I need to relate to them as, as far as politically or racially or anything like that. One of my favorites, no, Patrice, Patrice O'Neill to me is in the top three of all time. I don't relate to yeah. him. I'm nothing like that I, guy. That he's I literally worlds differently than me, and he's still when I watch him. I relate in a way it's funny that a guy it's funny that this guy walks the earth thinking this way yeah. that's how i watch comedy that's great he actually of course he's gonna get mad at this situation and like i mean something i don't give a fuck about you know yeah. it's not about me it's about his experience and it's fun to watch a comedian subjectively as like oh i enjoy that they go through that I enjoy that he gets angry at this or yeah. he's embarrassed or insecure yeah. about this or she has a problem sure. with this. Like, there's comedians that, that I mean, that I'm nothing, that I'm, there's this, who's the lady um, in New York? Oh, man, I feel bad. I'm blanking her name. I've, I mean, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, Zarnagarg. Zarnagarg. Yes, yes. She's like, middle-aged indian woman like off the boat like not even like yeah. like and to me it's like i love i don't know why it's just the way you know it's out of her but it's because it's why crashing because it's different it's not the same yeah maybe yeah kind of view it's, it's like it's not the same watered down shit it's like oh it's refreshing to see a different point of view and how she views her marriage and her kids. Yes, everyday I, life. I love the marriage stuff. Yeah, it's because her coming from a woman who was like, she was. It was an arranged marriage, but she yeah. with it and she found yeah. love within it. Eventually, you could tell. But the way yeah. she shits on him, it's just like yeah. But she's she obviously loves her family because you watch her. Yeah, I follow her, so I see her with them and all. Right. That's it. I could watch her, and then I could turn on a Joe Rogan and be blown away by that. I love it. I mean, you don't watch I stand up for who you're like. If you want to do that, you're going to be, it's going to be way more narrow. But if you want to do that, that's fine. You'll find somebody for you. This is why I can't stand when people hate on comedians. It's like, dude, go find what you're into. I swear to God, you're going to find I somebody. I tell people this. This is why I tell them. Like, there's a lid for every pot. Find that exactly. lid. Fit your pie, and you're good. It's perfectly. Like listen, you're gonna find somebody like you. Listen, what you're describing is exactly what Sebastian Maniscalco is. He's a niche. The Italians love him. Right. And Italians love it when there's an Italian doing something. They are the most loyal to their fucking people I have ever seen. The Irish. And to me, you know what I mean? It's it's so funny, but it's like and and like he, how relatable. The Italianness of him isn't even like that's great if you're Italian and you need that perfect there you go that to yeah. prove my point but then to me it's like I just like him that he's so disgusted by humanity but he's so yeah. 
he, he's su- he he carries himself in such a prestige. Like I imagine his house is like marble. You know what I mean? This yeah. statue of him. Yeah, blowing not- the waterfall, and it's like, and but yeah, I've not been. He has to get on a plane like everybody else, and it's just like yeah. oh, this. Gets- yeah, I was imagining he doesn't even go in his own house because he's afraid to dirty it up because of the germs. Like he wears hospital what? booties on his feet. You know what I mean? Like he's just like. You got to take your clothes off and go through like the Silkwood shower that Sharon would do in Meryl Street. Like it's like, time. so a bit much. But I That's love scary. him because it's such a different outlook on life. On the yeah. same generic, you know, it's not just typical, hey, you know, when you're a thigh, you fucking good, bada boom, bada yin, yay, you know, right. it's not that. It's his disgust with everything. Uh, and germaphobe. And his, yeah, you know, we'll... just. You know, and just how at Chipotle, working <laughs> at Chipotle, the way he did, and then as his, you could tell, because I always only saw him at the comedy store, and you could tell when his when his rooms got bigger, because he would perform yeah. bigger. Like he, yeah. he's like a goldfish, right? Like he grew yeah. into. Now he's this arena yeah. comic that has to like fit into a comedy club. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. He's this huge. He's been at SeaWorld swimming around, and now they put him in a fishbowl because they're cleaning the yeah. tank. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's what's great about him, and not just him, but, like, all those people that come back, and they're working every night. If you love stand-up, I mean, and you're in the area of, you know, L.A., or you want to go out there, or or even yeah. if you're in New York, like, go to the cellar, go to the stand. You guys, all these big, famous comedians, how do you think they practice? They were practicing with us in the clubs. Yeah, they go to the clubs because that's where the magic happens. Late nights. Like, I like going, I love doing independent shows. There's so many of them here, and they pay better than the clubs. And I get more stage time than the clubs. Yeah. Yeah, they can throw ones in New York. Like 10 minutes, but I could do an independent room, get paid a decent amount of money, and get 20 minutes. Right. You know, so I could work on something or I could do a half hour. They go, Christy, your closing goes as long as you want. We don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the last comic, so do whatever and you that, want. You're... That's and what so... I'm so lucky if about Austin right now is like that, too, because there's only a few comedy clubs, and they're great to work. I, I mean, I love them. But then I did a show in this guy's backyard, and I found like I was performing at Coachella. I mean, it was yeah. over 100 people. And the stage and the lights and the vibe was just, it's almost even better because everybody's like, this is cool. Like we're in somebody's backyard. Like it's the salt then, of the earth. Like, it, and I'm making, and I'm making, by the way, like times at least, at least twice as much money as I would get paid doing a yeah. club. Because it's yeah. like these people are paying, there's no overhead. It's not like a club that, you know, they're not paying out their wait staff or the lighting or the electricity. It's yeah. like, yeah, they threw the okay. show themselves. Yeah. So the money goes to them and the comedian. That's it. Yeah. No, it's true. It's and I great. love these. It's great. I love independent rooms. I go out to Brooklyn. I go to Jersey City. I go out to New Jersey. You know, they're all hidden. And I just, I, I go out to Queens. I go out to Long Island. And I do these independent rooms. And it's just, it's because that to me, that's the salt of the earth. Like that's yeah. where... You go and find the funny, you find the magic because it's real life. So you can really dig in and then you take all that. And when you play the main clubs, you just murder the people like, where did that come from? Like, yeah, well, because I'm, you know, at the gym every day, 
you know i'm yeah you know that's so like there's one of my favorite rooms right now is in jersey city this guy rich kiamko old school comic he was around with emo Phillips. i know rich you know rich kiamko yeah. Yep. His room out in Jersey City, he does four shows a weekend. They built the room for him as a comedy club out there. Mm. And it's probably one of the funnest. It's like, to me, it's only takes 10 minutes to get to because I'm in Midtown. And it's faster to get to Jersey City than it is to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn takes me an hour. And it's like, oh, I could go out. And it's like, it's like being on a road gig, but it's a city spot. So it's like Pretty the best tough. of both worlds. So it's right, and it's 10 minutes for me. And then boom it's like being on the road and just being able to work shit out it's fun and but it's like that's I'd what's love great about having through. yeah you have your runs like you have your your shit that you just you go you bounce back yeah. and forth there throughout the month you do it a few times i know i fucking love it new york has the great i mean dude i love the new york clubs also though like new york comedy club the, the midtown one especially is so it's just cake it's it's cake it's, it's, it's a great it's, way yeah it's like it, it reminds me of the ice house because it's like it's so easy like a tiny little it's like that annex room in the ice house yep. yeah i helped and open the annex room did you know that oh no shit the california right yeah. now yeah have you heard so of it it's it's like called, called, no yeah yeah it's called the ice yeah. house annex and was it kim i know and so it was Love me let's go in it was me joey gainer franchi bill burr my friend tamra and uh uh, uh, Willie, uh, not Willie Hunter, but um, Willie, Willis, Willis Turner. Willis. And we and we would help build up every weekend the annex to get people to go there as well and build it up. Yeah, it was right when it first opened. We were part of the first crew. Wow, wow. so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's still open. It's, it's awesome to see things from the beginning. You know, yeah, it's like really where cool. usually you show up. And it's been going on, but yeah, yeah. And the but I need to make my great room. Yeah, I gotta come out when you guys are there. Come out to Austin. I gotta get some. I gotta book some shit out there. Oh man, there's so many fun. There's, I mean, mothership is one thing, but like, uh, yeah, you know, there's a spot Vulcan, which is like, oh yeah, they do I was like, supposed, to, I was supposed to do that with Dice, and then it got canceled because the promoter yeah. fucked him. We didn't go. Oh fuck! I, yeah, well, I was bummed. Probably, uh, it's a cool spot. They, you know, freaking the cave moved out here. I heard. Yep, I know. I remember when she did. I never and, played. Yeah, uh, I wasn't a part of her little clique. Me neither. I still haven't played at this one, but I'm. I got just got booked uh, last night. Somebody put me. I'm there in like a week or so. I'm gonna go there tonight and check it out because that it's a fun scene. Some of these clubs, it's just even if you don't have a spot, it's it's fun to just go. Like enough of us are hanging. I miss that because in New York, there's no space for it. There's no right to hang out. Yeah, they don't. So, hey. Yeah, what no, like, do you just sit at the bar? Like, yeah, you know, like or stand outside. Hell, no. <laughs> well, the stand's cool. The stand is a lot of yeah. The stand, yeah. I mean, the, that's, the that might be yeah. Oh, the electric. Yeah, that's a small little thing though. Yeah. 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 So it's like it's already comedy club on on Fourth Street has a you know a decent area to hang out in, but right. You know. But oh we'll, wait, we'll back the, oh yeah, that, when you walk down, that's the, that walk the, down into the bar. Step. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool spot. Yeah. yeah I, um. There's there's some great there's some great hangs. I even like Caroline's back in the day. I miss. Like, yeah. That was my home. That was my home. Yeah, man. I would have thought somebody would have saved it. 
I really, well, I, I, you know, when I heard it was closed, it was like, no, I mean, no, it's because, there. yeah, it's because the landlord, because her lease was up after 30 years, uh, doubled her rent. She's like, are you kidding? I'm barely making ends meet now with the comedy. And they doubled her rent. That's why she had to leave. Is it, what is it now? It's a, it's a ping pong place that Susan Sarandon owns. Yeah. Thank you. Called, um, yeah, well, I forget what it's called. Uh, that's, who cares? Yeah. It's, it's sad to walk by. It's gone. And, uh, oh, but she's looking geez. for another location. The last I heard from Greg Charles was that they were looking in Tribeca. You know, cause she started okay. in South, she started at a cabaret in Chelsea near uh, Gotham and then she went down to South Street Seaport and actually had her own club because she took over for that cabaret. She got a spot down at South Street Seaport, uh, which was amazing and Mooney helped her open that and then 10 years there after that lease was up, she got Midtown and that's where she was for the last I know, that's hot. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like, there's this, I, I just felt I was connected to that room. Yeah, I was like the uh, first New York spot that like kind of, uh, it warned me a lot. Like I, yeah, that was like the way I would pay rent for a little bit. Yeah, but you know, 100%. all good things. But in, yeah, it's cycled. It's cycled. But, um, there was, I, I always loved how that room also felt. It was like the only weekend headliner club in New York. You know what I'm saying? Only, so like people would, yeah, people would come in and do weekends. And and so what's cool about another really cool perk about Mothership is that, you know, that little boy. You, you know, there's, there's show, they call them showcases out here. They kind of threw mm -hmm. me off. I always thought of a showcase as like an audition, but how out here, that's what they call all the shows. Like any show where it's like just comedians. Yeah, but, but that's what they call Yeah. But that's what they call it out here too. It's showcases. Do they? It's I, not I, like, I, yeah. Yeah. Like they call them all-star showcases or, you know, mm -hmm. all-star comedy yeah. showcase. Like I guess they just so, don't uh, call it that in LA. They you know, don't do that verbiage. But anyways, they have showcases at Mothership um, pretty much every night. And the Fat Man, their main room, they also have, you know, that's where Joe does his shows pretty much every night throughout the week. And that's like, they do a lot of and Friends shows, like Christina P. and Friends, right? Um, right? But on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and then one show Sunday is a road club, you know? And that's why, like, yeah, Harlan Williams came in a few weeks ago and I got the feature for him. Uh, yeah. And like you, awesome. like every weekend, there's a new headline. I think Lenny Clark is here this weekend. Oh, oh we love Lenny Clark. Yeah, so yeah. So like you get, <laughs> you get that kind of variety. Isn't that awesome? Ari Shafir was here last weekend. Then Joe DeRosa right. the weekend before that. So you get, if I get to see guys that I wouldn't get to see, and they're just on the road. To them, it's the road. Yeah, and to me, it's like, that's like kind of my home club out here. So I'm, you know, right. they're coming into where I work all the time and I get to see guys like that I would usually don't get to see unless I'm in New York or now if I'm in LA. Totally. Um, it's a cool fucking thing. And sometimes I even work for them. Like, oh, I'll even feature for a weekend or something like that. That's awesome. You know? I love it. I love it. Love yeah. it. But um, uh, before we've gone way over, but I love this because this has been so much fun. Um, I have to wrap up. I know it really is. It's like, it's like therapy. It's so it's delicious. But, um, I always like to wrap up the show with two stupid questions because that's what I do. And question number one is, is there a bit a comic has done that made you go, God damn it. That was brilliant. I wish I had written that. And what was it? 
Um, I'm gonna go new. I'm gonna go things of right now that I'm that I love it that they see around town. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this kid. There's this guy Dylan Sullivan. Okay, Dylan Sullivan was a door guy at the store, and he was one of the first people to move to Austin before Mothership. And uh, now he's just, he works well, he works all the scene out here, but he's at Mothership a lot, and he's great. This young, fat, maybe early thirties, big old fat gay guy. That um, <laughs> so he's got that he's got that gay privilege that we were, but he's not like <laughs> he he uses it. He doesn't use it physically. He uses it. He could say more shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Pretty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's no way with murder. And, yeah. And he and he and he and he rides a great edge. His edge is further than our edge, right? Yeah. Like your edge, yes. as a woman, you even get a little bit more. I'm a straight white guy. My edge is pretty far back. You know what I mean? What? Yeah. Is appropriate these days. <laughs> but um, but he rides this really fun edge, and he has this joke. He's got a few bangers that I like. It's like some of some of my favorite jokes right now. But one of them is about how, uh, so he's never had sex with a woman. So he's he's technically he's a virgin, right? Oh, but he's gay. So he's, car. he's a gold star queen. So they call whatever it, they call that, yeah. right? So he's that. He's like, honestly, I'm I'm afraid to to have sex with a vagina i don't remember how he says it but it was like i have sex with a woman because uh what if i like it and then i'm like what was all that other shit about because <laughs> <laughs> he's been gay this whole time like whoa oh my god oh my god i totally get <laughs> fucking girls this whole <laughs> what a waste of time <laughs> what a waste of time and energy yeah sorry dad <laughs> I forget how he stays. Sorry about that, Dad. I just <laughs> never tried it. And all the yeah. time it passed. Yeah. No, he's, he's like, oops, my bad. <laughs> he also, you know, that's what the joke's about, but his style, the way he speaks is so right. funny. He's got this, like, uh, he's got this, like, this little, like, it's almost like this chuckle in the back of his throat. Like, <laughs> like he, like, he talks, like, it, it's like, it's natural. It's not a good. It's like he doesn't try to yeah. do it, but right. It, it makes his inflection. It's almost like the less yeah. is more thing. Like he doesn't exhaust yeah. a lot of energy. He barely says it, and it's like yeah. But it's just enough. And he has other jokes that are super intricate. He has this joke about Denny's, and I'll just it just the long. I mean, I'm not even gonna tell you why it's funny, but it's so intricate that like he can tell it the order in which he could say it could be different it never has to go one linear way and he could say some of it and then get off and do other stuff and then get back to it later love and it's like love there's all these moving parts to it and i love it is super good at crowd work if he if his jokes weren't great enough he's got this crowd work that like i mean sometimes i follow him a lot also and I dare say that I've struggled more following him than Holtzman. Holtzman almost, when when he destroys, like, you know, when you've seen that those Holtzman, yeah. like, lightning in a bottle sets, it's almost impossible. But yeah. there is a way, almost because by the time I get up there, it's more of a normal scene. So it's like, they, they can yeah. be almost more ready for me, you know what I mean? I Whereas, I find Holtzman easy to follow because he is so 
fucking right. Right, you son of a like bitch. they need. It's almost like at that point they're ready for something a little bit more normal, right? Like yeah, it's, it's something it's, a little bit more great. Yeah, it's like they're great. pounding Jaeger shots at the bar, and it's like, yeah, okay. Oh, I need some water. Oh, I know. I'm the water that comes in and hydrates yeah. after the yeah, onslaught. Exactly. Where yep. and but so Dylan though, it's such a mm -hmm. subtlety to him, and his crowd work is so he's so dynamic because he could tell these great intricate jokes. He's got that gay edge. And his yep. crowd work is so smooth. And, it. and it's one inflection. It's like one note, really. Like, yeah. it's not like he's playing this range. His voice is up here and out here. It's right. one straight thing. But so many things happen in that one line, that one straight inflection line. That, like, I mean, it is some great shit. And he, to me, it's like Love that. everything... I love, he really represents this young Austin scene well because what it is is something that's different and it's new and it's fresh and it's boundless. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's you can only see it here right now. I mean, he's going to be famous and be everywhere, but like for now, this is where it happens. And um, yeah. yeah, shout out to this dude, Dylan Sullivan. I don't even know if it's something like that, but yeah, he, right. he's, like my, he's like one of my favorite guys right now. Um, does it happen? Thank you. Get on the podcast. Oh, I mean, I'll tell him. Yeah, dude, he's a very lovable kid that is fucking killing it. and has great jokes. But that would be mine to answer your question. The Dylan Sullivan. Okay, what perfect. If I, and... What if I actually tried vagina joke? I don't know what he called <laughs> And last but not least, uh, because Paul Mooney would always close his sets with street jokes, but he would Mooney-ize them. Oh. So when Mooney went into street jokes you knew he was wrapping up because you know we do like okay. three hours four hours so right you know and i loved what the way he would just murder with street jokes and i love a good shit they're hilarious so do you have a go yeah it's so it's funny perfect. because at well I, I don't have a go-to and i'm trying to remember because i tony hinchcliffe loves street jokes and yes for oh. some reason he's got a bunch of jewish he's got he loves jewish street jokes it's so it's so odd but he if he was here he'd be rattle off five already he loves like when it's hilarious five, yeah we're all sitting in a circle he's like all right so this jew goes into and he just, he just <laughs> i don't but that's i'm i'm trying to think i really don't have one do you, do you want one for tony do you want one for tony yeah tell me one and i'll let him hey, know here you go a priest and a rabbi are sitting on a park bench in Central Park. Okay. A 12-year-old kid goes by on a skateboard. The priest says to the rabbi, man, I'd sure like to fuck him. And the rabbi says, out of what? Thank you. We'll be here all week. <laughs> that's exactly my... That's a, he's got a ton of those. That's exactly... It all, it all has to do with money. And yeah. fucking people oh. over. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. I love it. All right, Matt. I love you. Tell everybody where they can find you on the socials. And if there's any shows coming up you want to plug. When does this come out? Uh, uh, it'll be out on... Uh, let me look at the date. It's in a week. Uh, um, uh, okay. Well. On, uh, on the 12th. February 12th. All right, well, that's a little bit. I have a, I have, a, I got some this weekend that I needed to promote, but that's all good. I'm, I'm around. I'm in Austin right now, so I'm, I do all the shows out here. So, you know, you get, you could catch me at Matt Edgar right there, Matt with one T E D G A R. Yep. 
on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I'm out here. I'm I'm hanging. Come hang with Maddie Matt. I need to come out and visit too. I need to get out there. There she do. You yeah. love this shit. Hey, everybody. I would love it. I probably wouldn't want to go home. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I came and visited and now I'm here. Yep. That's what happens. Ah, you're the best, Matt. I'm so glad you're on and I love you to pieces. And I love you, Christy. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. And I got to see more of you, brother. You will. I'll be out in New York this year. Okay, good. All right. All right. I love you. And uh, that's our show, everybody. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Old School New School Comedy on Instagram. And you can follow me as well at Christy Miller Comedy. And uh, we love you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the show. We love you. Yeah, it's that time. It's that time.